We're going through the book of James, and uh, we're hitting parts of the book of James where um, the conviction that's been building as you're reading through these first couple chapters is, is, is starts to get really, really practical. And he starts to hit on things that not one of us is uh, not guilty of, and so James can be a very uh, good place of confession. And uh, we, we, we talked a little bit about that last week before we celebrated communion together, uh, specifically relating to the words that come out of our mouths. And today it, it gets even deeper. It goes even deeper. So I wanted to start, it, it made, my, made me think of uh, how Isaiah typically puts it. And uh, it's hope, it's challenge, it's conviction, it's all wrapped into one. Uh, which you, we fi- you find all through Scripture. But Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, he, he puts it this way. He says, come on now, people. Seek the Lord while He makes Himself available. Call to Him while He's nearby, like when He's talking to you, and you're hearing it, and you're right in the moment. Do something. The wicked need to abandon their lifestyle and sinful people their plans. They should return to the Lord, and and guess what? He'll show mercy to them and to their God because He will freely forgive them. That's Old Testament, and it rings true today through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so now we get back to James. Now, my question is, after I read passages like that, and after I I, I go through the small group studies um, that we've been doing together as a church during the week, uh, in James, I I, I have to ask myself, why don't people get it? And I'm not talking about the world and people who don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior yet. I'm talking about we the church. Why, do, why don't we get it? Why don't God's own kids get it? Where, where is the dull hearing? Like, like what's going on? And, then, and of course, after I say that, I've got to, what? I've got to look in the mirror. Exactly. I've got to look in that mirror. Uh, today, James is going to ask us two questions. Uh, and the two questions, the first one um, is about what is true wisdom? you know, um, how to live life God's way. Like, what is that exactly? He's going to ask that question. He's going to answer it. And then the second one is about, okay, this this, never happens at Grace Chapel. Why don't we get along with each other? I mean, right. Because we always get along, right? Okay. (laughs) Nobody's jumping in there. Okay. And 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 what we discover, it's, it's about it's about our passions, it's about our pride, and it's about our prayer. That's why we don't get along at times. Let me read the first question. Verse 13, chapter 3, if you're not there yet. James, who is wise and understanding among you? Stand up. Good choice. <laughs> Good choice. Who is wise and understanding among you? Better yet, how will we all know? And James goes on by his, or her, remember he's talking to brothers and sisters, by his good conduct, he should show his works. Boy, we've heard this before, huh? 
chapter 1, chapter 2, now chapter 3. By his good conduct, he should show his works done. Think about your, your life this last week, even this morning. Done in the gentleness. Done in the gentleness that wisdom brings. What would produce the opposite of this gentle work, this, this gentle lifestyle? What would, what would disqualify you or me from standing up or raising our hand to the first question or even thinking that we were wise with the wisdom of God? What would, what would stop that? Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy, is anybody here jealous? Now you can put your hand up, okay, because we are. And we do see things that we covet and we want and we desire and we see other people and we say, Chris, you've never said this, that's not fair. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness, wanting your own way, wanting it done your way, in your hearts, do not boast. Do not, do not say Do not act like you are wise and put your hand up to that first question because then you're telling a lie against the truth of God because that is not true wisdom. If you have any jealousy or selfishness in your hearts because your actions do speak louder than your words and they speak way louder than our self-acknowledgement and how we tell the big story and we, 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 put, we frame things so that we look better when we're describing what just went on in our life and I went out and I did this and I'm... Verse 15, that kind of wisdom, that kind of living does not come from above. Whoa. Remember, who's he talking to? The book of James is not written to unbelievers. Who's it written to? It's written to Jewish Christians, first-generation Christians. After Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, these are are Jewish people who are, God's created the first church assembly around Jesus Christ's blood. Such wisdom does not come from above, but it's earthly. Get this, it's natural. This is the way we live because we, we is sinners. We are sinners. And it's demonic. I, we, we pointed this out in our small group this morning. This is the third time in three chapters that James has gone there in talking to believers about demons, about hell, about things that are demonic, to describe where our words and our actions can come from as followers of Jesus Christ. It's, it's mind-boggling to consider it. it is, it's amazing. Verse 16, for, for where there is jealousy and selfishness, there's those words again. So, so this is in your heart. This is on the inside. There is disorder and every evil practice on the outside. What you are on the inside, is, it's got to come out. You can hold it in. You can, you can hold in your anger. You can hold all those passions and all those desires. But one day in a, in a moment, in a frail uh, moment of life, it's going to come out. And then we're you're going to see what I'm really like, and I'm going to get to see what you're really like, and, it, and, it, and at times it can be really ugly. But 
true wisdom, just like true faith that James has been talking about, it's, it's this vital, practical quality that should be what people see when they see us, especially incorporately as a church, and then we go out individually into this world as the church. Um, they should see this. It should, it should look so different because it's not natural. It's supernatural, and it comes from God. And it has so much more, maybe even much more to do with the way we live than what we think and what we say. The Old Testament conception of, of wisdom was a way of life. Like when you say wise, it doesn't mean you're old. It doesn't mean you've got gray hair. It doesn't mean you're experienced in the ways of the world, in the ways of life. It, it, it's, it's more about how you live. It, it's, it's, it's a way of life. A young person, a young child could be wise if they were following the ways of God. It's a way of life. It's, a, it's an attitude, how you approach things, how you approach people, how you came to church this morning. What kind of attitude did you come in here with? I missed an hour. Big deal. <laughs> it's a holy God. It's, it's, it's a corresponding conduct to go along with that attitude, which will be typical of a godly person, uh, a person who, who has faith plus works, which equals life, or what we're going to find this morning equals peace, equals peace. I, I was reminded of um, Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, which says, so, so, so God, teach us to consider our mortality. If there's anything that will put you into a wise thinking kind of mode, it's thinking that our days, your days, mine, they're numbered. They're just a smoke. They're just a vapor. They come and they go. It's fast. So teach us, God, to consider our mortality so that we may live wisely. But James is even more interested in the, in the qualities that real godly wisdom will manifest. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above, this is, now, he's told us what wisdom from below looks like. Don't go there. Child of God, do not go there. But wisdom from above, which shows itself in these works done in gentleness, is first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's accommodating, it's full of mercy. It's, it's just like all the political commercials you're seeing today. It's, it's exactly that. That's what it is. That's, the, that's wisdom. <laughs> yeah. It's good fruit. Do you like eating bad fruit? I mean, some of you are like, I don't even like eating fruit, but it better be good, right? It's good fruit. It's impartial. He's, he's bringing up all the stuff he's been talking about, favoritism and, and, and what you say and how you view people. It's impartial, and it's not hypocritical because God hates hypocrisy. Um, 
And you find it everywhere I know, but you find it in God's children too. And we've got to rid ourselves of it. Verse 18, in that fruit that he's just described in detail consists of righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's, it's right living. It's, uh, it's doing the right things even when it's not popular to do the right things. And you only are righteous and able, enabled to do the right thing and to stand before God as if you are always doing the right thing by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the blood of Jesus Christ. But he's talking to believers so he can say this. You stand before God, but your lifestyle should, look, should match that. And that righteousness, this, this way we live, the way we should live, is planted in peace among those who make peace. Everyone is striving to know a little peace in their life, aren't you? Peace and quiet. <laughs> oh. It's why people go on vacations. Although most people's choices bring them back more tired than when they left. But we, we, we want this peace. We, we pay for this peace. We, we, we desire this peace. A sanctuary someplace. A retreat. Not like the youth just went on. That was probably not too peaceful. But a, a retreat. A, a getaway. Um, Getting alone or getting along, that would be peaceful, right? Uh, Fairness, less driven. And this quite naturally leads us right into the second question, because that was the first question. It's kind of a follow-up illustration to that first question, This, this lack of peace. James has just displayed for us, um, that God's wisdom, God's way of doing life leads to peace. But here's where people typically struggle and where we're, we're all at. The second question, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? So, James is talking to the first generation of believers, and he's heard or he's seen firsthand that people quarrel and are involved in wars of all kinds, even in the church. And of course, we remarked on this in our, in our study this morning too. We've had 2,000 years to perfect this, to get good at it. So where do the conflicts, where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this? Here's the answer. It's from the passions that battle inside of you. In other words, who's the problem in the world today? You are, not me. No, You've got to own this. James is saying, you got to own this. There are passions that are battling inside every one of us this morning, right now. Uh, You can put a name to yours, or you may have a long list, but that's happening right now. We are the problem. Peter 
said it this way in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you <laughs> as foreigners and exiles, that's what we look like in this, on this world because we're different, to abstain from sinful desires. This is, you just got to start here. Because these wage war against your soul, talking to believers. And James goes on to talk about it and elaborate now, and here's, here's where we really get to where we want to be and where we want to end so that we can go on out into the world and back to work and back to school and whatever we're doing this afternoon. Verse 2, James chapter 4. <clears throat> okay. Brother and sister, child of God, you desire and you do not have. You murder and, you, and you're, you're envious. You envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and you fight. This is, this is penetrating insight into the human condition. I mean, James just nails it right here. Every one of us is just, we drip with this. And he's talking, remember, to church people. And he's providing us a powerful analysis of, of basic human conflict at all levels. Verbal arguments over differing viewpoints from politics to <laughs> how to clean the dishes, uh, to how to drive a car. And these differing viewpoints that every one of us in this room has, if not God-led, as he's just described in the previous verses, lead to violence on a private level, and can even lead to national conflict, which we've seen throughout history. Case in point, look at the cyclical, violent history of our planet. Do we learn from the past mistakes? It just keeps on going, keeps on reproducing. At a greater clip, I might add, the cause of conflict can all be traced back to the frustrated desire that we want more than we have. So we go get it. We're envious and we covet what others have been blessed by God with. We have to acknowledge that. That all comes from God. That's not about us and it's not about them but we covet it, whether it's their position or their possessions or the way they look. Imagine, just imagine this for a moment. Imagine people going to church for the wrong reason. <laughs> it's probably not that hard to imagine. Um, not to help Christ's church, not to advance Christ's gospel message, in the way they talk and in the way they interact with each other and their world outside, but to advance themselves, just to advance themselves. 
to be known as a somebody. John, the, the, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation, he actually, in, in his letter of 3rd uh, John, called out somebody in the church by name who did this. So I just want to read it for you just because it's like real. Like this, is, this happens. This goes on. This could be here, and we need to root it out and be so careful how we interact with each other and why we interact with each other and worship God even. And in 3 John, it's only one chapter, in verses 9 through 11, he, he says it this way. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, so there's the guy's name. So I mean, you imagine reading this in church? So Bob, <laughs> is Bob there hearing this when it's being read out of this letter originally? But Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, this is like James, right? This is the living illustration. Does not acknowledge us. Like he's top dog. And this is John the Apostle. Therefore, if I come, there's a little threat, I think, in, in there. Little, little. Therefore, if I come, I will call attention to the deeds he is doing. Like I'm going to call him out on this because this can't be so. Not in the church of God. The bringing, this is what he's, what he's doing, the bringing of unjustified charges against us with evil words. And not being content with just that, he not only refuses to welcome the brothers who are coming in the name of Jesus Christ himself, but he hinders people in the church who want to do so, and he throws them out of the church. Like, they get kicked out of church. They're not invited to come anymore because... They're interested in other people other than Him. Dear friends, do not imitate what is bad, but what is good. This is what James has just said, right? There are things from above, and there are things from below. We are not people of below. We are people of above. So we live to a higher accountability. We live to a higher standard. We conduct and say things in ways that are so different than what is naturally wants to come out of us. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does what is bad is not, has not even seen God. The lust for prominence, um, which has reached epidemic proportions in the church of God today, in this country specifically, is described with, by James with the word murder. Did you catch that? And don't you, normally when you see murder and these big sins, don't you normally just go to whip over those really fast because it's like, well, that's not me, right? That's, I mean, he's just using an extreme example to point something out, right? And I, and I would agree, that, like, like no things had not deteriorated in the, in the first century church to the point where they were actually drawing out their swords during a worship service and hacking one another to death. That, that was not happening. At least we haven't read the historical account of it yet. But that their lust for whatever, there's all kinds of lusts, had actually led them to hate one another. H-A-T-E, 
in hatred, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the gospels, is in line with inward murder. And why does unsettling stuff like this happen to people like us? Verse 2, the rest of it. You do not have because you do not ask. Have we heard this before? You do not have because you do not ask. Do you remember how James started this little letter off way back in chapter 1 in the first place? If any of you lacks wisdom how to live life in the face of trials and temptations, what are you supposed to do? Ask God and He will generously give it to you. He's, he's done a full circle here. He's pulled a fast one on them. He brought them right back around to the beginning. But you have to ask without doubting. That's what he pointed out in, in the first part. And you'll receive it. So apparently, whatever they're asking for, they're asking with a sense or an attitude of doubt. Then James goes on, because the response from some of us, probably even here today, is, wait a minute, James. What do you mean I don't ask? I pray. I pray all the time, and I ask. Don't tell me I don't. And he, and he follows it up in verse 3 with, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, you ask. <laughs> he clarifies his point a little bit. Oh, oh, you are actually asking. Yes, I'll give you that. You're using your voice. You're using your thoughts in prayer to God. But you're supposed to be asking for, begins with a W, wisdom. You're supposed to be asking for wisdom. And wisdom, asking for wisdom, is asking God for instruction and for the power to respond to life, to people, to trials, to beat and have victory over temptation. And you do not receive because you are asking wrongly, is the word he uses so that you can spend it on your passions, which are the problem in the first place. Your sin that besets each of us is causing this battle. It's causing all this quarreling in the first place. Or maybe you don't ask for that depth of insight. Maybe you're still stuck with asking God for stuff to make life easier, better for you. That would be pretty shallow, wouldn't it? But wait, didn't Jesus himself promise in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, and I will quote, ask and it will be given to you. There it is. Well, if you study Scripture, and by that I mean you don't just cherry-pick verses that sound really good, which is what a lot of people do. They cherry-pick, and they take that verse out, and they make up a whole theology around it, and then they come to church and ask people for money. So, if you don't just cherry-pick the context 
of this whole sermon that Jesus is giving in the Sermon of the Mount reveals what Jesus had in mind when He said these words, ask and it will be given to you. The kind of asking that He's talking about has its focus, has its motive on God's name, on God's kingdom, and on God's will. The whole context before Jesus makes this promise is is found in Matthew chapter 6, and that's what He's talking about. And James, like Jesus, wanted his readers to know what they were really supposed to pray to God about. James' readers, they wanted, they wanted to know from God, how can you fix my situation? I want my wants fixed because that will give me a sense of peace, a sense of accomplishment and purpose that will, that will give me a, a, a little more ease in life. These, and that's what's going to fulfill me. That's what's going to help me continue on in this Christian walk and, 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 and make me an example to other people. Um, and what James readers wanted is what you and I as readers, when we are following the wisdom from below, this is what we want. This is where we fall. This is where we rest our case in prayer. They and we are prioritizing the wrong things sometimes, even when they come to their church meetings. They were wanting their own desires gratified, if you will. They wanted things the way they like it. They wanted things done in a way that would make them happy, Now, now, there's nothing wrong with wanting things. For, for, let, me, let me back up. There's nothing wrong with wanting things. If the things you want are good and right, and if they are really good and right, there is a way for us to obtain all that is good and right and in line with the will of God, and that is prayer. This is where James finishes. This is where he concludes, concludes about asking with the right motives, seeking wisdom from, from above. If we, if we come to church wanting, let's say, prestige, <clears throat> maybe people just to think that we're actually better than we actually are, doing better than we actually are, we may end up pounding on one another for position. If we come to church wanting the Lord to be glorified because He deserves that, and our fellow brothers and sisters edified, which will probably mean we take a couple notches out of where we are, in order to build them up, we will end up praying for one another. So we can pound on each other, according to James, or we can pray for each other, according to James. Which one do you want? You take your pick. You get to choose. I've discovered, maybe you have too, I I bet you have, that in this process of sanctification, becoming more and more 
transformed in the image of Jesus Christ in this process since my salvation, that when I desire, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm passionate about things that aren't wrong in themselves but may be wrong for me, and God's wisdom will show me the difference, when I am like that, I can't ask God for good things or right things. I don't even want to. I typically don't receive wisdom from God when I ask that way either. Um, I typically get discipline. Don't go there. Discipline, correction, and a whole lot of disappointment. Wisdom is, the, is a great theme in Scripture. It's God's gift to His people. It enables us to live in this world. In a few months, it's going to enable us to vote in this world. It enables us to create in this world. It enables us to ask of God correctly while we live in this world. Wisdom is, is, is huge. And to, and to do it in a way that aligns with God's purposes and God's will, we have a wisdom deficit, don't we? In our world today, um, you do this and you do that <clears throat> because of what this guy says, and then next week it changes. And the wisdom changes. And con conventional wisdom says, which, which one are we going to look at? Which generation? Which era? And God's wisdom never changes because He never changes. That's why you and I can read from the Psalms and the Proverbs and from Ecclesiastes, and it rings true today in 2020. It's like, it's like for a Christian, it should be duh. Wisdom is so very practical. And some of the Old Testament books, we're going to actually look at one um, after Easter. It's going to be our, our next study. We're, we're, we're gearing up to go through about six or seven weeks through Proverbs. Um, they're so very practical. And they're full of convincing and convicting illustrations. Um, and they focus our living in this real world. But we've got to remember that we, we live in this real world before an awesome God and for an awesome God. So our passage today strongly suggests that this wisdom is the antidote for all Christian quarrels within the body of Christ and in your family. It's the antidote to all Christian differences. It's even the antidote to what has been labeled the worship wars. I'm, I'm serious. God's wisdom is the answer. And if you ask for it, He will give it to you, if you ask without doubting. And James analyzes some of these wrong reasons, and he, he quite bluntly, isn't he blunt? He quite bluntly distinguishes between wisdom from above and wisdom from below. 
And if I may quote James from last week in conclusion, that wisdom from below that we are so prone to fall back on, especially in in moments of frailty, brothers and sisters, this, this can't be so. This can't be so. Would you rise with me in response to our awesome, amazing God? Thank Him for His Word. Thank Him for the salvation He's provided for you. And if you are here today and you're grappling with doubt or you're grappling with, what is this salvation for me, really? Jesus dying on the cross and rising again on the third day. Ask. Ask God. Why don't you come up and talk to me or some of the other men and women here who can lead you down that path and answer your questions for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, acknowledging the power of your word in our lives through the ministry of your Holy Spirit and the way that you just bring up things that we may have even tucked away and haven't acknowledged for a long time. You bring them to the surface. We thank you for that. And you give us the enablement and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace to go on. And Lord, uh, we take this time now to praise you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.